who you are, young lady. You certainly know how to handle yourself well. Bad girl? Bad girl? Bad girl? Yes, bad girl. Biff Bam Pal. This is Batman Land. Our purpose here is quite serious. Each week we chat about the 1966 Batman TV show. We might as well get a few laughs out of it. We discuss the episodes that aired this week on SBS Vice Land. My name is Dan Barrett. I work on an SBS site called The Guide. Joining me this week is SBS's own little green man. It's Nick Bassine. It's nice to be here, poopsie. <laughs> Thanks. And joining us in the studio, it's a duo that proved that men are from Mars, women from Venus. It's the original Odd Couple. It's SBS channel manager John Bohm and Chris, I've forgotten his job title, Fagans. That's very fair. It's not an exciting. I'm a content specialist, Dan. Is that your title? That is my title now. Holy um, moly. Yeah, exciting. Thank you. Nice to be yeah. here. Uh, returning guests, John Bohm. Also great to be here. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure which one's from Mars, which one's from Venus, but we'll find out as the podcast goes on. Now, Chris Faggins, you've been on the Batman land before. Which episodes have we had you in for? Do you remember? I was the start of season two, I believe. The, the one with the archer. Yeah. Uh, do you remember this episode? Oh, uh, look, I remember this episode, I wouldn't say fondly. Like it was yesterday? I do feel the Batman land episode was better than maybe the episode itself. Absolutely. I thought I thought we were on fire in oh. the uh, in the studio, but they were not on screen. I still get mail about it to this day. I, I wasn't here for that. Um, who was your favorite Batman? I struggle with this question, actually, because you don't know who Batman is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why are we here? Who is this Batman? No, because I. So I think it's Michael Keaton. But I was slightly too young. I told a story the last time I was on here of the uh, difficult relationship I have with Poison Ivy. I don't know if you remember that, Dan, and how I'm terrified of her because she gave me like horrendous nightmares as a six-year-old. Wow. So that was the Batman I grew up with, but it's it's a tarnished memory because of Batman and Robin and was it Charlie Theron? Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman. I'm sorry that they're they're very similar people in my in my defense. No, she was Eon Flux. That's right. So who was Poison Ivy? You're thinking of um, Monster. (laughs) Easy mistake to make. Yes. So I would say Michael Keaton with a caveat as my favorite Batman. Now, John, you've been on a few Batman lands. The uh, first one. Very first one. You've been back since then, haven't you? Yeah. I uh, I think I filled in for uh, half an app for some reason. (laughs) Yeah. You um, busy schedule. No, you had a you had an interview with someone, and I came in and just helped. oh the tick the tick fellow. Yeah. Okay, I'm sure I've had you in there since then though. Maybe not. No, I mean this okay. is uncomfortable now. This is uncomfortable. Yeah. Weird. I mean Ben Ewan, channel manager for SBS Main Channel, has been in like at least fifteen different times now. It's true, he's been scraping the barrel, bottom of the barrel with these guests, like yeah. just people he meets on the street. But no, we've particularly got you gentlemen in here for what is the penultimate episode of Batman Land. As you two are the guys who really decided, hey, look, there should be a Batman podcast. I think Chris Fagan said it as a joke. John took it half seriously, and here we are. 750 episodes later. <laughs> it just feels like that. I'm a little bit sad. I'm going to miss the friendship. What are you guys going to do to fill the hole in your lives that it is Batman land? Well, we're talking about, um, we're going to be talking later about a potential replacement. Oh, look forward to that, listeners. Yeah. But yeah, until then, hard drinking, I think, is maybe the answer. But we are here to talk about two episodes of the old Batman TV show, airing on Viceland every Friday night between 7.30 and 8.30. We're looking at Olbia Mummy's Uncle that aired on the 22nd of February 1968. And we're also going to discuss The Joker's Flying Saucer, which aired on the 29th of February 1968, a leap year. Nick Bassine, 
I don't recall a single thing that's happened in either of these episodes. Can you please just remind us what's going on? Okay, so King Tut's therapist falls asleep while listening to him. I always had a feeling you never really listened to me. And he escapes to rob a place that makes stones. Take only $47,000, Tutling. The police call Batman and Robin, who talk about poetry for a long time instead of doing any actual crime fighting. Meanwhile, King Tut buys the property next to Wayne Manor and mines for nylanium. The hardest metal in the world. So he can build an unbreakable empire. That's no! The mining operation leads King Tut and his goons right into the Batcave, where he figures out the true identities of Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin and Batgirl arrive, and there's a horrifically violent fight. Batman and Robin gas everyone with a spray that gives them severe brain damage so they forget their identities, except Tut, who escapes. The beans, so to speak, are about to be spilled. He's about to tell the police the identities of Batman and Robin when a rock falls on his head, reversing the brain damage he already had and turning him back into a Yale professor and all is forgiven. And then in the next episode, everyone in Gotham is freaking out because of an imminent Martian invasion. An imminent invasion from outer space? A stir created by the Joker who's looking for beryllium, one of the lightest metals in the world, so he can make a flying saucer. Holy known unknown blind objects. He and his sidekick, Bird. Verdigris. Where have you been this time, Verdigris? Who's some kind of alien fish man. Blow up the Bat Cave. Batman and Robin are finally dead. And with two more episodes to go, they've met their end. It's sad, but they're at peace. They did their best, but it wasn't enough. Not even close. Ah, well, it's the circle of life. Elsewhere, Joker captures Batgirl and Alfred and ties Batgirl to a rocket to blast her into space where she would most certainly die joining Batman and Robin in superhero heaven or hell. Oh, joy of joys, ecstasy of ecstasy. But then it turns out that Batman and Robin were just unconscious for several hours. It hadn't been for our anti-thermal bat t-shirts we've been wearing lately. And Batgirl has a thing on her belt that prevents the rocket from launching. The Joker piles the whole gang into his flying saucer and is about to make an ultimatum to the world when Batman and Robin's stunt doubles in the Batcopter reroute the flying saucer back to the launching pad factory it took off from. The real Batman and Robin commit extreme violence against everyone. Our heroes have certainly earned a vacation after all that, but then we see the extremely popular and recognizable villains, Dr. Cassandra and Kabbalah, leering at a big diamond at Spiffany's jewelry store. And then, of course, the Vietnam War raged on. Nick Bassine, thank you very much for that incredibly accurate and timely retelling of these fine episodes. I'm going to miss putting these together. I mean, it, it's not easy. It's hard to keep track of all the events. Now, listening to all of that, I'm reminded of the fact that throughout these couple of episodes, there are a few phrases that I thought really tickled my fancy. One of the main ones was King Tut, at the very beginning of I'll Be a Mummy's Uncle, says the phrase, dirty asp on the grass, he locked it. Dirty asp on the grass, he locked it. And I had to re-listen to that one a few times because it did not sound like he was saying asp. You thought, what did you think he was well, saying? Well, I thought he was saying dirty ass on the grass. What would that mean? I don't know, but it makes just as much sense as dirty asp on the grass. Wait, you're saying if they said it twice? He said dirty ass on the grass, and then I listened to it four or five oh, times, and then realized he wasn't saying that at all. Right. Yeah. But a more interesting phrase, uh, Chris Feggins, you mentioned a little line along the way. Yes, as King Tut was nearing the entrance, Batman uses the phrase, his shaft was more than halfway here and should be entering the Batcave shortly. So well, I don't what's the issue. Look, I don't know how to answer that question without... <laughs> Let us move on. 
Nick Bassine, let's go through a few highlights. I, I have a, since we're talking about quick throwaway lines, at the very beginning, King Tut, while he's taking the key off of his therapist, says, does, is doing an impression of something or someone and says, I'm, I'm too, too young, young to get, to get married, married Paul. Paul. I'm only 12 I'm years only old. 12 years old. What, what is he doing? Yep. What is that? I have no idea. I was is confused like by a, the whole thing. Is it an old, like little house on the prairie line or well, something? Well, he, he is in therapy, so he's obviously working through some things. Also, 12 is very young to get married. It's factually correct. So his, he's saying his father married him off at 12. It would explain a lot. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to mention a couple of, there's a few interesting cast members along the way through this one. There is one huge one. There's actually a couple of interesting ones, but I know which one you're going to talk to. Yeah. But before we get oh, to her, yeah. we're going to talk about Shep Housen. Mm. We're going to talk about Shep Housen, who played Dr. Denton. He was the uh, therapist at the very beginning. And I thought there was some sort of joke, like he was stunt casting, but not really. He was just some bit part actor, but he has 226 credits to his name. And through his entire career in Hollywood, he played a whole lot, lot of party guests, hotel patrons, and attorneys. And that's pretty much it. You go through his entire IMDb, it's pretty much just that, which I thought was fantastic. But the person I think you were excited by is in the next scene where we see a woman who plays the role of... Rosetta Stone in the credits, right. but she's the clerk or whatever at the stone buying shop. Also and, called Rosetta Stone. Yeah, right. That's right. Why me? Why not you? I immediately recognized her. At first I thought, is the woman from Throw Mama from the Train? Mm. But I was wrong. So you didn't immediately recognize her? <laughs> I knew who she was. Well, she's Kathleen Freeman. Kathleen Freeman is the, the bad guy from Naked Gun 33 and a third. That I don't think is the most prominent like role that she's had. Well, she's in Blues Brothers, but I didn't remember that that so much. Well, maybe you should have watched it on oh, Sunday night when it was on, on SBS. It was on SBS, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, she is in the Blues Brothers playing the Penguin, Sister Mary Stigmata. She has one of the longest IMDb profiles I've ever seen. Oh, it's extensive. It's really extensive. How many credits are we talking here? Look, I don't have it in front of me, but from the top of my head, it was something about 290-odd. Yeah, 294. Yeah, there we go. It's pretty good. Uh, one of the more fun credits I saw in her, there was she's the voice of Peg's mother in the Married with Children TV show. Does the mother not appear on screen? No, but you hear her voice a bunch of times. John, you might remember her from Arliss. Oh, um, I believe it's pronounced Arliss Dolazan. That's right. Yes, yes. Speaking of pronunciations, can we go back to a couple of the metals? Because it, <laughs> it led me on a YouTube video crawl of working out how to say the word titanium, which I'm saying correctly now, according to six different YouTube videos. Mm. But Batman pronounces it... Titanium, beryllium... Titanium. Titanium. Or something. Did he say titanium? Yes. <laughs> As did everybody else in the show. Thank you. Nobody said it accurately. <laughs> it had me questioning everything I knew about precious metals. They do play with pronunciations on this show. They're always pronouncing things weirdly. Yeah, Commissioner Gordon's the most notorious yeah. for it. But there was no comedic element to that, I didn't think. It just seemed like that's how they thought it yeah, was yeah. pronounced. Absolutely. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, they all agreed on set that this is how that word is pronounced. Wow. They'd never seen it before. Yeah. Now, speaking of metals, as we learn in this episode, King Tut's after a deposit of nylanium, and that's a fake metal, just in case you kids are looking it up on your... Periodic table? Periodic table. He mentions that there's a large deposit of an understately Wayne Manor, the ancestral home of millionaire Bruce Wayne and his youthful ward, Dick Grayson. That seemed like a lot of information to pass on to his offsider. Okay, however, that got me thinking. Every time we hear Dick Grayson mention he's the youthful ward, how many wards are there that aren't youthful? 
Oh, here's Nick Bassine, my youthful ward co-host. I think you could have an old ward. I think you just have to be older than them, don't you? I don't know, like, does one become a ward? Isn't a ward somebody that you're looking after? My ward is very old. Who's your ward? Um, it's, um... <laughs> I've got a little bit of trivia. Is Tom- it about Tom Cruise? <laughs> yes. How did you know? Did it, have we talked about this already? Constantly. Multiple times in the last week. Tom Cruise is a few years older now doing Mission Impossible Fallout than Wilfred Brimley was doing Cocoon. I've also heard you mention this about two or three times in the last week. I'm going to bring this all together, though. (laughs) Running. People running on screen. Yeah, I've got a note about this. Tom Cruise, famous runner on screen. Batman and Robin. I'm I'm not an athletic man, but (laughs) I'm guessing that's not how you're meant to run. It's an odd style. Robin doesn't bend his knees at (laughs) all. He runs straight-legged. You're all being very judgmental for two guys that first of all broke the world's record... Yeah. and did the mile in three minutes. And then just moments later, barely even a puff later, they did it in two minutes. Yeah, but Dan, I think you'll find that breaking records is no, all no, a part of not crime just, fighting. Not just records, world's records. Or world's record. Someone called Guinness. Is it the first time they've run on the show? Because it was very distinctive. There was another one. Well, there's the classic moment where they run at the end of the Batman movie as they have to get to whatever the fake UN thing is that they've got at the end. It was the real UN. No, no, it's not called the UN in the film. It's something else. But I think it's the UN building that they've got in the footage. But there's a classic thing, and you've probably seen it on Twitter as a GIF with Batman and Robin running next to each other. Very popular. They're in sync. Did you notice that? <laughs> I did not notice. It was like synchronised running as they as they went through the shaft. Sorry, where did they go? Through the shaft. <laughs> you have... I like... This is Dan. You're better than that. I don't think I am better than Matt, but go on. There's a, a, another a very famous person in this episode. Victoria Vetri. Oh, yeah, we should get to her. Good Lord. She's got some stuff going on, doesn't she? Oh, does she ever? Uh, Victoria Vetri, or as she's credited in this, Angela Dorian. She has several aliases and also has committed crimes. Uh, she has. So she played Florence of Arabia in this episode. So the gangster's mole for King's Hearts. Great name. Uh, she was fairly well known as a Playboy Playmate of the Month in September 1967. So that was just a few months before this episode. Uh, she was the 1968 Playmate of the Year. And she's also in the film Rosemary's Baby. Now, she married a gentleman by the name of Bruce uh, Rathgeb in 1986. And she became known as Victoria Rathgeb at that point in. And was later charged in 2010 with the attempted murder after she allegedly shot him... Now, the charge, it was reduced to attempted voluntary manslaughter because he was unfortunately horribly murdered and she entered a plea of no contest and she's currently serving her nine-year sentence. Hang on, what do you mean horribly murdered? And what's voluntary manslaughter? I feel like we're about to get into an ethics on... Finally, a true crime podcast. Yeah. Yeah, finally we get up to number one on the charts again. Is she in prison currently? Currently she's in prison, so she'll be out in about two years' time. Really? Wow. Yeah. Any other crimes that she's committed? Uh, I mean, that's all that I could find on her Wikipedia. Nick, Maybe. did you find any traffic infringements or anything? No. She was jailed on $1.53 million bail. She was, I guess they thought she was a flight risk. Mm. Well, they would have seen this Batman episode. Yeah, the Batman residuals would have been piling through all these years. Exactly. That's sweet Viceland money. <laughs> I don't think we should be joking around about this. A man is dead. 
It reminds me of that great John Greenleaf Whittier quote. Ah, yes. For of all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these. It might have been. Which, as we all know, is from the third stanza of the poem, Maud Miller. I knew that. But enough pros and cons. <laughs> Which I thought was a very nice line. It was good. It was pretty good, except it's not prose, it's poetry, so I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> on to the second episode. Hey, while we were just talking about the guest stars in this one, there's one last person I thought was worth noting. It's this guy, Jock Mahoney, who played H.L. Hunter. He was the miner that was very repentant for getting involved in the shenanigans. But Batman forgave him very quickly and he just went running off into the forest. He played Tarzan in two feature films. He was Tarzan Goes to India and also in Tarzan's Three Challenges. Uh, now we find out here Commissioner Gordon's thinking about moving to the suburbs, getting out of his brownstone in the city and heading on out. Yeah, for somebody who has never worked a day in his life, he sure seems like uh, like he's tired, like he needs to relax. Uh, if you meet a lot of cushy bureaucrats, you'll find that's a very common... Answers a lot of phones. It does. Makes a lot of calls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Picks up the, the receiver a lot. Um, uh, people that know me, people that know the show, know that I like uh, Victor Buono's um, portrayal of King Tut. He's, uh, I think he's really funny. And he's, he was good in this episode as well. He has uh, nasty names for Batman and Robin. He's always calling them funny stuff. He calls Batman Bat Dump, which I, <laughs> I thought was pretty good. And uh, what does he call Robin? 97-pound weakling bird boy. It's fun. It was fun. Sick burn. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I had. One thing about Commissioner Gordon doing not a lot of work, did you notice how he had a pair of binoculars, like in very easily accessible in his desk drawer, to look out the window to see potential UFO sightings? Well, he's always keeping an eye out on crime. But, like, from his window? Is that how he keeps an eye out on crime? Why are the binoculars there? What is he looking at? I would dare suggest that, much like all of us watching the Batman TV series, he has learned a lot of lessons from Batman, and Batman would be the first to tell you, so be always considerate about where you keep your weapons and your crime-fighting tools. I mean, binoculars aren't a weapon, Dan. <laughs> weapons and crime-fighting tools. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. You know, we all learn different lessons from Batman. We do. And one of the things that I kind of took away from this is the issue of Commissioner Gordon's ongoing failure to recognise that his daughter is a costume crime fighter. He's spending God knows how long in the office with Batgirl hanging around waiting for that bat phone to call. Batgirl gets to put on the phone. I'm watching it and I thought, well... If your daughter's dressing up in costume, surely you would recognise this at some point. Like, if it's like a fleeting meeting here and there, sure, but like, they're spending an extended period of time together. Now, Chris Feggins, you've got a uh, lady in your life. If she suddenly rocked whoa, up... Whoa, whoa, this is the first time hearing about it. If she rocked up and she's hanging out with you in some sort of, you know, costume this high where you're not seeing her face, sure. you've spent enough time with her to go, look, maybe young lady, I know who you are. Like, you're probably not going to be entirely surprised. I think I could probably figure out, yeah. You'd figure it out. Particularly if she's, if she's speaking to me as mm. well. We've had conversations previously. Yeah. You can tell when it's her on the phone? Generally, yes. Wow. Generally, yes. <laughs> it's serious. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Bassin, you're a man with, like, a woman, a believe a wife. Am I ever? Yeah. If your wife turned up in, the, in an office wearing a costumed... Like sort of apparatus, you'd recognise her, surely? I would uh, totally be fooled by long red hair. Mm. I mean, that's a fair enough point in that his daughter has like a short black bob. Batgirl has flowing red locks. Yeah, it's very different. It's totally different looks. Different colours, Dan. Totally different colours, Dan. Yeah. Okay, story Deal checks out. It. Sorry, Commissioner Gordon. 
But I, I, the way I recognize people is through scent anyway. Do you think she changes scent? Well, she could put on a Batgirl perfume, Bat scent, Bat, bat, scent. bat fume. I don't think that's the marketing name for it. Oh, was it Bat Batnesia or Bat Amnesia? Batnesia. Batmesia? Um, also, very inconvenient that he would run out just <laughs> as he needed it. Yeah, that was rough. Florence of Arabia, as Batman is confronting her, saying... You'll have to kill me. Like, you know, how are you going to deal with me? You'll have to kill me before I tell you anything. When he's clearly just knocked out two people with his spray and it's yeah, still yeah. in his hands. Like, it was very clear that he was not going to have to kill her. Um, so <laughs> I, like, I, like the, I like the exclamation. Somebody says at some point the centre of what? Does anybody remember that line? Yeah. Uh, it's what was that? Commissioner Gordon, isn't it? He's reacting to something that someone Yeah, has... Batgirl tells Commissioner Gordon that they've gone down the shaft into the centre of the earth. And he exclaims, the centre of what? As if, <laughs> did people not know the planet's called Earth? Like, yes. That's not was, the... It was very strange. Yeah. And he also, he said it like they do it on The Simpsons when they're over-exaggerating the uh, what? It was very funny. That was very good. Oh, thank you. Maybe like titanium, they just had never heard of Earth. I buy it. Yeah, it's I a fact. I think you mean titanium. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> it's part of the potpourri of news, both good and bad which is one of my favourite lines from the episode. Now, I'm going to put it out there. I know that not everyone in this room is a huge fan of this episode. I actually kind of really enjoyed well, this well, one. I think I established that I was a huge fan. Well, that was before we started recording. Oh, right. Now, well, now. This is my segue for us to all talk about oh, okay. how we felt about the episode. Mm. Now, I've seen all of season three, and I have to say, not every episode's a winner. In fact, quite politely, maybe this episode and three others have been. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I've loved every single one. Mm -hmm. Sure. Chris Fagans, I believe you're a bit of a naysayer before we turn on the microphones. Was I? Uh, I mean, you weren't entirely high on the episode. Uh, you, yeah. were, you were furious. I was furious. <laughs> you got me in here for this shit. <laughs> uh, no, look, I think you brought me around on it. I think I've changed my opinion entirely. And there were some really charming bits of the episode. I enjoyed it. I think it was better than the second episode too. Oh, I think that's definitely a... Yes. We all agree with this, yeah. Uh, John Bohm, channel manager for SBS Viceland. How did you feel about the episode? It did not feel as cheap as a lot of this season has felt. Yes, the, yeah, that's roller, good the roller coaster down the shaft. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot less weird black background room sets. Yeah. I did find as this season's gone on, though, they started relying more on their sets in a way that they weren't for those first few episodes. There's a lot of black box theatre happening, and then it's like maybe at five or ten episodes in, it went back to normal. Yeah, maybe like they were very stingy at the beginning and then realised they could spend a little bit of money. They yeah. also destroyed the Batcave during that fight yeah, too. Yeah. That, that was, was very high production value. I actually, I thought that fight was one of the better ones I've seen in all of Batman, not just the third season, I'd say. And I, I don't want to oversell it, but when they get into that uh, the mine car, it's, it's straight out of Temple of Doom. Bo is gripped. So let's move on to the second episode where we've got another fake metal at play. Well, according to my uh, very brief research, mm -hmm. beryllium, which they're searching for in the second episode, is a real thing and is actually very light and strong. Is it spelt berry-ilium? It is. Wow. It is. Which really threw me off because in the first episode, fake metal, not real, not the strongest. What, what is uh, beryllium used for in real life? No idea. Flying saucers? Could be because that's what it's used for in these episodes. Can I just say something? At the beginning of this um, three-year run, we've been doing this show for three years. Coming up to seven. The Joker was supposed to be uh, the best part about it. 
supposed to be my favorite um, villain. I remember it's an iconic performance Cesar Romero does. But over the course of maybe it's just because he doesn't appear as much. But there are other villains that I've enjoyed. Like, I think uh, King Tut is more fun. You know, it's, it's strange how I remember it in my childhood and. Here's the thing with the show. I think that, and we should say we are seeing the very last episode of the Joker in the series. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, so this is the last Cesar Romero performance. And I think you're right in saying that the Joker episodes haven't been as good, but I don't think it's Cesar Romero's performance. I think it's just that the Joker episodes generally aren't the best episodes of the show. Uh, The King Tut episodes also generally not great, but I think there's something about Victor Buono's performance that really elevates a lot of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just don't think there's a great Joker episode, really. Why is that? Is it because they didn't use the Joker in a really menacing... I guess the, the idea is that he just laughs a lot. Do you think that the recent portrayals of the Joker are impacting that view at all? Maybe. That you have come to expect Heath Ledger-esque Jokers? Yeah, or that, I guess... that level of performance <clears throat> anyway, if not the same kind of ominous nature of it. I guess... The movie Jokers, they're definitely more menacing and they're more specific and true to the comic. And on the show, the Joker's thing is just that he he laughs a lot. There was a, a period where he just he left riddles like the Riddler and there was they were almost indistinguishable. That might have been in a second season, though, where they couldn't use the Riddler anymore. Ah, uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. So I think there was like an episode where it Good was just times. Joker instead of Riddler. Yeah. But yeah, what I think it might be is that you had in this show a lot of kids watching And I think the performance of Cesar Romero as the Joker was indelibly left on the minds of all these kids. And so they've grown up and become adults. And so as cultures develop with these people becoming cultural influences, suddenly the Joker's taken on a much greater prominence in culture than he probably would have otherwise. Because don't forget, in this show, you've got the first season where the Joker's only in one or two episodes. And you really have the Riddler, played by Frank Gorshin, as being the main guy that the show was really playing off as often as possible. And so I think you've sort of reached this point where the Joker's not even really much of a presence in the show except for when necessary. But because the kids love the character, as pop culture's gone on, we've seen the Joker actually being the main villain from, you know, the Tim Burton film in 89 onwards. But also in the comics, he is the main adversary. Well, I mean, only as time went on. I mean, he was definitely an early villain in the comics, so I think he might be... But now we can all agree that he is the Oh, yeah, he's like the guy. Yeah. Yeah. But that might be because of Cesar Romero in his laugh. And there was a moment in this where he was doing his laugh, and I laughed as he was doing it. There was a shot where he did the laugh, and the camera kind of zooms in a little bit or moves in a little bit, and, and it's, it's scary. And I thought, whoa, we should do more of this, make him scary. Well, he's a lot more unhinged in the first couple of episodes of the series, whereas now it's like this refined, cartoonish performance. Speaking of cartoons, hmm. obviously this show jumped the shark a while ago, but if we had to pinpoint an episode... This one kind of felt like it in terms of them being in outer space. <laughs> I wasn't sure of the I wasn't sure of the, the plan. What was the plan? Because it just seemed to get in a UFO and then take over. Because it was both a hoax, but then they were in the stratosphere. Did I did I misunderstand the episode? Is what I'm asking. Did they go to space? They were in space. Were they? They were in inner outer space. <laughs> I, I think is what how Joker describes it. And the plan appeared to be just to give an ultimatum to the world and hit, for him to take over the universe. Because, yeah, there vague. was that bit where he, like, it cut toward, like, that Independence Day thing where it cuts around the world to, like, London yeah, yeah. and whatever. Londinium. Sorry, Londinium. Yep. <laughs> 
where you get titanium from. Yeah, yeah there were rights issues. Yeah. I just feel like we haven't done that in a previous... They haven't gone into space. Have I missed an episode where they went to space earlier in the season? No, no. We haven't been to space, but the Joker... The London episode could have been a jumping the shark episode. I think it jumped the shark well before then. But when they do something super gimmicky and stunty like that. But the Jokers had the ability to turn back time. That's true. Like that was a season. good episode. But that was fun. <laughs> I, I think memory is maybe a little cloudy on that one. Uh, Although you well, did have Alfred's twin brother. Yeah, there's all kinds of good stuff going on in that. Yeah. But you can have a twin brother and not go to space. I have a twin brother. Do you have a twin brother? Yeah, we just we actually, this came up, the last Batman <laughs> land. I do have a twin brother. I haven't been to space. So story- is his name also Chris? It's not. Has he it's been not. to space? Not that I know of, but... You don't track all of his whereabouts. Exactly. I, you know, sometimes I won't see him for a few days, so who knows? He could have popped up there. Is he yeah. a content specialist as well? He's not. What does he do? He, What's his name? He, uh, I don't know if he wants me to discuss that. <laughs> he, he works in customer service. Oh, look at that. Yeah, he's a man of the people. Nice. A couple of interesting guest stars in this episode. Uh, first of all, we've got Ellen Corby, who played Mrs. Green in the episode. Fans of the Waltons may know her as Esther Walton, which is a show that's well before my time, but Nick, you might have some Walton's knowledge. I I was a huge Walton head. I had all the figures. That's it. Just the figures. Yeah. Uh, the other character actor that I thought was fun, and this is Jeff Burson, who's the guy that played Shamrock, who's maybe one of the few African-American characters we've ever seen on this show. Yeah, I think there's five. Yeah. A total of five. You can probably count them all on one hand for sure. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, so that guy, he's actually in the original Planet of the Apes movie, and he's the astronaut. There's three at the beginning with Charles oh. and Heston. Charles and Heston being one of the three. And obviously he's the African-American one who has a iconic scene where you find where the apes have stuffed and mounted him, and he's oh on display in the museum. God. This is a children's yeah, podcast. It's like a really dark, Dan. No, I'm sorry. Jesus. I'm just telling you how things were back in 68. But anyway, Jeff Burton, I really liked him in Planet of the Apes, but I've never seen him in anything else since. Did you recognize him from Planet of the Apes? No, he kind of looked familiar, but I was looking him up and, oh, it's that guy, and it made a lot more yeah, sense. right, okay. Mm. Uh, he's got a lot more, I think, charisma in this episode than you see him in Planet of the Apes, where he's a very rigid kind of a guy. Do we feel like either of these episodes could have been series finales? I feel like they both could have could have just faded to black and been no, done with No, no, not at all. I didn't want to, I didn't want, I certainly didn't want to go out this way. And I'm hoping that the next two episodes, the final two, are really emotional and or exciting in some way. I feel you're going to be very disappointed. What do you want to see? Like, how would you like it to end? Um, well, someone needs to die. That seems unlikely. Well, someone, seem unlikely. someone did die in the first episode. And Harriet. Well, it, it has been her ghost the whole time. But I mean, uh, the woman who fell into the nuclear Oh, that's thing. right. A bad guy died. Yeah, yeah. played by Chill St. John. Yeah. And now nobody does. Set a weird tone for this children's show. Well, the first episode was darker because that's the only time that you hear a reference to Batman's origin with the murdered parents. Um, Then uh, Batman wins an election. He's always running for, they're always, the president's always calling, begging him to run for things. No, I'd prefer it to be more like at the end of the TV show Cheers where Woody ended up becoming a, I don't think he was, he was a politician. I think he was just a councilman. I don't think he was like mayor or anything. But I'd like to see maybe Robin like step up. And all these years of being taught about good citizenship, he's putting it to some use. Who would be the Ted Danson? Oh, Chief O'Hara. Both of them former alcoholics. Right. Um, Bruce Wayne needs to... Um, Just wake up in bed with Robin? Either that or Batgirl or all three. 
I plus would, Alfred. I would like to see a touching moment between Alfred and Batman. Not literally. They don't need to actually touch each other, but just emotionally. Well, he finds out he's his dad. Yes. That would be great. That would be very good. Or even better is if Alfred finds out Bruce Wayne's his dad. <laughs> or, Time travel. <laughs> or he's Robin's dad. And it turns out he hasn't needed a ward the whole time because he's got a dad. <laughs> yeah, great. Very emotional. Yeah. Powerful. Yeah. Absolutely. Tears. Yeah. I'm guessing none of those things happened, Dan. I don't want to see Have it. you seen them already? Uh, no, I, well, I mean, I don't did as, spoil it. I did as a kid. I haven't seen it. Like, Lord Batman Land at all. I don't want to see the show end with some sort of major plot twist or revelation or anything like that going on. I want to feel that sort of idea that the, the war on crime is just going to continue on. The final scene should be them all in Commissioner Gordon's office. One of them says something funny and they all stand back and throw their heads back laughing. Yeah, police squad style. Exactly. Freeze frame, credits roll. Yeah. Yeah, that would be good too. Can I say I enjoyed Alfred's extended role in this this episode? And he's what he's, was he doing? He was the mad scientist on the rocket ship. Which one's Alfred? Talking to his handkerchief. Yeah. Before. Oh yeah, that was good. Constantly. It's a good bit. When yeah, I'm just drying my eyes. I believed it. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of Alfred, there was the moment where the bomb goes off in the Batcave, and you've got all the debris over the Batmobile. And first of all, I have to say I was very impressed at the level of set design that went into that. Yeah. I was expecting one or two beams just to be lying over the top of the Batmobile, but it was like dirty and there was a lot of muck around the place. And I was feeling bad for Alfred because he's going to be the guy cleaning all that up. Did you also notice where Batman ended up? <laughs> like yeah, so I had a question about that. Where was the bomb? I thought it was in the Batmobile, but Robin's still in the Batmobile. Correct. But Batman is where Jill St. John died. Mm. Which made... Not a lot of sense because, like, one of them should be blown up and their heat thermal defending T-shirts should not be enough, especially considering they're not wearing pants. <laughs> and we're selling those shirts at the SBS Viceland store. Yes, yes. Yeah. You can find it at the SBS lobby. I would love one of those An shirts. An SBS shop would be great, wouldn't it? We should talk to some people. Yeah, let's get on it. But, yeah, how did he end up there? Was the explosion so large that he got like catapulted up what looked like a ladder or like 12 stairs up. Some combination of that plus a um, a tornado. Or had he been awake for a while and was just <laughs> was just chilling out there assessing the damage <laughs> and he just let Robin rest for a yeah. while. Robin, up, oh, here, he was, up here. He was weeping over Robin's presumed death. That's right. That would yeah, have been he, a yeah. nice way to end the season. Yeah. I mean, not a nice way. <laughs> yeah. Touching. Lucky the clock was still working. Everything else in the building. But none of the phones. Yeah. It's so odd what they choose to um, explain, what story points they choose to explain, like uh, the clock still being there. They have to waste a line of dialogue explaining that wasn't broken in the explosion. (laughs) No shit. We can see that it wasn't broken. Or the how they survived with their T-shirts. Let's just go with it. I clearly had questions about that, so I am glad they... (laughs) I'm glad they answered them. But the Not kids, to my satisfaction, but... The kids in the 60s when they're watching, they have questions. Do they care about any of this stuff? No. No, they're hoping that their older brothers come home from Vietnam. Whoa. <laughs> uh, I don't think kids I don't think kids care about no. any of that stuff. So it's strange, that they, which is why this show has constantly gone back and forth between what is supposed to be a children's show, but they're also making it for adults. And it's what makes it great as well. Okay, so we should probably wind down conversation on this episode. Batman Land, it finishes up next week, which begs the question, John Bohm, channel manager here at SBS Viceland, 
what, what's going on? What are we doing? Well, what's going on is an hour of darkness at 7.30 every Friday. <laughs> in remembrance of the show or this podcast? Uh, in remembrance of me not having bought a replacement series. So <laughs> if anyone has any suggestions... You know, you're running out of time. Well, I'm going to have to buy a show very quickly. So what would you guys like to see? Well, for the last, I don't know, maybe four or five months, I've been giving John all sorts of suggestions, none of which he's clearly taken on board. Which, what have you suggested? He won't shut up about sliders. Uh, I think you've been the one caring about sliders. I don't want to be tarnished with the black tar that is sliders. Sliders land. The show I would like to see him do, because it's completely on charter for SBS, and I think it's still a very good show. Bonanza, obviously. We need to see what's going on with the cart rides. But I want to see Northern Exposure. I think that'd be the way to go. What about Sanford and Son? (laughs) I'm only half joking. So if anyone out there has any suggestions, hashtag what should we replace Batman with on SBS Viceland? That seems like a very long hashtag. That's a catchy hashtag. What about, what about the A-team? What about hashtag? <laughs> what about something something slightly more contemporary? Oh, I can't afford anything from like the last four decades. <laughs> Post-1970. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, if it's in the public domain, that would be even better. Like Birth of a Nation. Well, there's probably a few I Love Lucy's. What about... Actually, you um, know what? There's some uh, bonanza in the public domain. What about ALF? There's going to be a reboot. People are going to want to watch that original show. That's true. This could be the, this could be the time to jump back on the ALF train. <laughs> oh. can, we, can we please do Captain Planet? Mm. He's our hero. It's going to take pollution down to zero. But yeah, serious res- if anyone's got any suggestions, hashtag Batman Land Replacement. And John Bowman will keep an eye on that. So guys, that's the end of Batman Land for another week. This week we've said goodbye to Victor Buono as King Tut. We said goodbye to Cesar Romero as the Joker. And we've said goodbye to Byron Keith as Mayor Linseed, who's made his final appearance in this episode. Ah, classic character. Missed that guy. Uh, Incidentally, apparently Mayor Linseed, he was a parody of the then Mayor of New York, John Lindsay. Little bit of trivia for you as we wind this one out. The show is famous for its wordplay. Is it ever? Anyway, guys, Nick Bassine, you're on Twitter, right? Where do people find you? You can find me at underscore poopsie bat dump dot biz uh, space, several spaces. Or you could just uh, at, at Nick Bassine is fine. Uh, John Bohm, people can find you on the Twitters, right? Uh, yeah, at IDENTS or just, you know, at SBS Viceland. Mm. Oh, that's how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, say, say hey, John. I'll be done. Right. Fantastic. And that's IDENTS, I-D-E-N-T-S. Yeah, there's also a dead blog you can go read. Hmm, that's a good blog. Chris Fagans. I'm not on Twitter. Don't contact me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the SBS On Demand Customer Service website. Uh, your twin brother, is he on Twitter? He's not. Okay. He's not, sadly. Uh, people can find me at the Dan Barrett. If you want to talk about Batman Land, use the hashtag Batman Land. You can, of course, find the podcast <laughs> on all the popular podcast platforms of choice. And you can find the show Batman every Friday night at 7.30 through to 8.30. Now you can watch it without the shame of quickly rushing to the TV and stopping it before Adam Looking for Eve comes on. Adam Looking for Eve Germany is coming back soon, though, so... Yeah, but not next week. <laughs> no, sadly. Mm. Stay tuned. But if you are missing nude people on Friday night, there's a new show called Nude coming. Uh, yeah, we got a French comedy nude, uh, sort of a magical realism, isn't the word I would use to describe it at all. So oh. not sure why I said that. Weird that you brought it up. Yeah, but it is a French comedy about a man who wakes up in a world where everyone has to be naked for terrorism reasons. So tune in 
SBS Iceland and On Demand from September. Yeah, so it's going to be like 9.30 Friday nights. 9.30 Fridays, the perfect time. You've just watched some Adam looking for Eve. You just want to watch some nude. Just hang out, have a good time. Yeah, hang out being the operative phrase. Folks, this has been another Batman land. I'm sorry, what do you mean? For reasons of good taste, this is the end of another Batman land. We'll be back next week, same Batman land time, same Batman land channel for the final episode. Chris, before we leave, quick question. Who's the black private dick that's a sex machine to all the chicks? Uh, I'm unsure. I believe the answer is Shaft. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? No, I cannot. <laughs> Who's the cat that woke up out when there's danger all about? Right on. They say this cat shaft is a bad mother. I'm done my shaft. He's a complicated man, but no one understands him but his woman.